said you was gonna take me to see Wu Tang, baby. So I braided my hair. Well, yes, you did. Yeah. Said you was gonna take me to see Wu Tang, baby. So I braided my hair. Yes, I did. Cornrows and everything, baby. Well, you changed your mind and said we wasn't going. But my mama saw you there. Yes, she did. Check this out. One time. Will I be blowing up your page with that But you never call me back. Well, I'll be putting in that one, one, baby. But you never call me back. Blue. 
Hello, hello, hello. Happy hump day, everybody out there. I am so excited. It is Helena J. Conley, and I am here with Smart Money Moves with Helena. Welcome to this week's edition of our Smart Money Moves. I am excited to be here with you, giving you the best of the best of info out there around money. Uh, I always, always encourage people to keep money at the forefront to make sure that you are uh, getting where you want to get in life financially. So I am excited to have you guys here today. I know I have some folks that sent some messages and wanted to get some questions answered on today's show, which we're talking about uh, how do we keep as much money as we can in our own pockets, okay? That's what we're here for. We want to make sure that we know the things out there that are keeping us from accumulating as much as we possibly can when it comes to having the lifestyle that we want. So I have been busy, 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 busy out there speaking with people, working with families, having conversations and, you know, doing different, doing different talks and just learning more about how people understand money and what is the mindset that they have around money. And it's always interesting to bring that information, you know, back to the audience and to my listeners so that people can start thinking about these things for themselves. And so it's been quite interesting uh, uh, out there over the last couple of weeks with people paying attention to what's happening to their money, people not paying attention to, but, you know, being made aware of just paying attention to their money. So you guys know at the beginning of the year, uh, I gave out my 10 small, money moves for 2022. And they went all the way from setting your goals to, you know, evaluating your your taxes when it comes to your paycheck. Are you giving too much to Uncle Sam? Or are you giving them just enough to your investments, reviewing your portfolio to, you know, really setting out how your uh, mortgage is working, how your insurances are working, and just really paying attention to your money. So we're going to get into ways to keep the most of your money in your pocket. What are those enemies that are out there right now keeping people from having as much as they want? Now, let me ask you this question. I'm going to do some some calculations with you today because one of the things that uh, a client brought to me was a website that they use um, to do their calculations for planning and for their retirement. So I'm going to do some calculations with you out there, but I just really want everybody out there just to listen or ask yourself the question. When it comes to what we really want money for, I want you to list those things down, you know, in the short term and in the long term, what do we really want money for? Um, and I, I was reading recently um, the book Psychology of Money, which I've mentioned before, and just really trying to figure out people's psychology around money. Um, are we doing what we do for the long term, for the short term? Are we doing it for instant gratification? What is the mindset that we have around money? Is it, you know, get rich quick? Is it, you know, I want to be able to, to use it right now? Is it I want to be able to build, you know, for my future? Is it that I want to, you know, create legacy? What is your mindset around money, right? What is the uh, the first uh, thought you have when it comes to money. I have enough. I don't have enough. Um, I just really want you to process these questions for yourself as we talk about some things. And I give you some things to really think more about uh, when it comes to ways that we accumulate money. 
And there's a lot of information. We could talk about, you know, smart money moves every single day of the year. Uh, so there's so much more out there. But I just want to give you some things to really think about this time uh, as we spend our hour together. So hopefully some of you guys out there have, you know, thought about those questions, written them down, really want to see if you're on track to get the things that you want to get. Because I really believe it's important for us to plan financially for everything that it is that we're trying to do, whether it's that wedding that's coming up, whether it's, you know, I work with a lot of real estate professionals and you're working to, you know, get your first home, get your income property. Uh, I was at a duplex workshop where I met a lot of amazing people a couple weeks ago that want to look at the investing in duplexes. Um, whether it's, you know, that kid is, you know, almost ready for college or you're having your first grandbaby, but there's a lot of things that um, are out there on our financial minds. And I'm just really curious to, you know, what people are doing to plan and how much they're, they're understanding about the best ways to keep as much of their money in their pocket. So let's jump into one of these enemies that we need to pay attention to. And you've heard all of us out there, we've talked about these things before. You had conversations with your financial planner or your coworkers or your family or, you know, whoever it is that you talk to when it comes to the money conversation. But how are you using these things to actually get where you want to get? That's why I asked from the beginning, what is the financial mindset that you have? What are the goals that you're trying to achieve right now? So that first thing, which has been a big topic of conversation, I think they said just in July, uh, we had our first month since this inflation has been uh, spiking up. We had our first month of a little bit of reprieve, right? I think uh, inflation had gotten up to, it was 91 I think is what I read a few months ago. We're at 9.1% uh, inflation. And what I just looked up uh, uh, in doing my research for today's show is that we had a slight reprieve and we're at about 8.5%. Okay, so that, you know, what is that? 0.6% makes a very, very big difference when it comes to all of the things that we have to purchase uh, uh, or the purchasing power that we have with our money. So looking back over the trends of inflation, it's pretty, it's just as I like to say volatile as, you know, sometimes the investment industry can be. Uh, because when I was looking through, a, what was it, 1980, I think it was, was probably the highest that I've seen over the last uh, uh, 40 plus years. And it was over 13%. I think it was like 14, 13 and a half percent, something like that. Um, was the cost of, of living, right, increase. And so how do we use this information to, what did I say, keep as much money in our pocket, right? Really knowing how it works, really knowing what you need to prepare for. That website that I told you uh, someone was showing me the other day is called calculator.net. And on that, uh, there's plenty of websites out there, you guys, that give all kinds of calculators for you. You can give retirement calculators, mortgage calculators, calorie calculators, all kinds of calculators. But calculator.net was something that someone brought to my attention. And just looking uh, uh, at the inflation, it can tell you, you know exactly what your purchasing power really is. Uh, uh, when it comes to how much more is going to cost you to live. So uh, working with a, a client today, we, we looked at, you know, what is the amount of money 
that you need in in uh, in a monthly basis, right? To live the life that you want to be able to live, and to see how inflation uh, affects that, you just want to you know estimate what is that amount of money going to actually be in you know whatever your desired amount of uh, of or retirement ages. You want to see how much you're actually going to need. And so on this calculator, you're able to just figure out, you know, let's say 10,000 today, a family with a, you know, a, a teenage child in their 30s, right? $10,000 today at their desired retirement age, which everybody has a different retirement age. And I like to say when it comes to retirement, it's not stop working. It's being what a friend of mine says is job optional, not having to work every day and being able to rely on my investments, my uh, uh, money returns, all of those things, right? So theirs was 55 years old. And so just looking at inflation, that $10,000 lifestyle today at the age of 55, near mid-30s, the age of 55, is going to be $29,000. So almost three times the amount of money they're going to need to live the same lifestyle they live today, right? That's a huge thing that you have to be cognizant of, that you have to be aware of in order to make sure that you're doing what you need to do, right? Because this show is about making sure that we can make the smart money moves so that we can keep as much of the money in our pocket as possible. But if you don't even know what that is going to cost you later in life, then I'm pretty sure we're not going to be preparing and planning correctly, right? So that's three times the amount that we're going to need, right? So we have to have enough things, right, set set aside as far as passive income uh, that's going to be coming to us from all different vehicles in order to meet what we need. But the way we save for those vehicles, right, because we're saving today so that we can have the income from them later, we have to come close to, if not, we outpacing inflation. And so if we're talking, you know, 1980 inflation was, like I said, over 13%. The end of last year was at 6.9, I think it was. And it got to a height this year of of the 9.1. So not knowing where it's going to be, whenever you're planning for, you know, the future and your decision is to keep as much of the money as you accumulate, you got to make sure that you are accumulating at a rate that is giving you on average more than inflation. Now for a 20, 30 year period, that average was two, 3%. So you should at least be looking for four to 6% somewhere, somehow, right? And we'll get into those. I know I have some people out there saying, well, my stuff, gets me, you know, 12, 13. I just got an 18% return. I think it said today was the highest day of the S&P over the last three months. So you may be saying, you know, I got that. But we'll, we'll talk about the, the risk that comes along with some of that extreme reward uh, as one of our other enemies to pay attention to. But just really paying attention to um, that inflation and, and knowing what you have to look for in order to not have it affect you so greatly when you get to retirement time, because that's what this is about. When I'm ready to stop working and I want all of my income to be passive, right? I want to make sure that I have enough of it. So what are your, you know, investments? What are your savings vehicles actually getting for you in return? 
Are you outpacing inflation? Have you been over the last, you know, year and a half, two years? Were you for the last 10, 20 years of your work, however long it's been? But if you don't pay attention to that, which I know a lot of people that don't even look at their uh, returns, right, until they have a sit down and a real financial conversation. But what is it really returning? Right? Is it keeping up with that inflation? Are you getting the right kind of interest? Because trust me when I tell you, you want your interest when you have to pay it to be compound interest, right? And there are things that you really need to pay attention to when it comes to compound interest in order to keep up, you know, with the, the um, pace of inflation. But with compound interest, I learned and I always, always pay close attention to it, you know, when it comes to how much you are earning on your money. Uh, there's actually a rule that can, can show you exactly how much you're going to have at a certain amount of time averaging that particular return. Okay. So let's say, for example, and the rule is called the rule of 72. Many of you guys have seen it, heard it, read it in a book, did something. But with the rule of 72, what it says is whatever interest rate you get on your money, you take that interest rate, right? So if you're talking 2%, 1%, maybe you have a CD, 2%, something like that in the bank, or maybe you just did really good on your portfolio and you've been earning 14, 15%, whatever it is. I say look at the average of your different vehicles. Don't look at its greatest, don't look at its lowest. But if you have something that's, you know, not a, a fixed amount, then you want to be able to, to look at the average and just see whatever that interest is. And let's say the average is 4% on returns, right? You divide four into 72, that's 18 years. So you can easily estimate, right, how much money you're going to have, because we're going to go back to the calculator.net. We're going to figure out how much money this family needs in order to live the life that they want. But it can show you how much of that money you're going to be able to accumulate based on the compound interest that you're getting. And again, there's some people that save earning 4% on average, on average, not in one year, on average, there's some people that average eight to 10%, right? On average, and I'm talking not just a one or two year period. So with that 4%, that's every 18 years. So your investment will double every 18 years. So when you're talking and trying to figure out, you know, how much can I get out of this particular investment? Look at the returns, right? Which is what a lot of people do. Figure out the average and that'll be able to help you see how much you're going to have. And are you keeping up with inflation? Is it going to be enough to live the life that you want, right? Because from that example that I gave from earlier, $10,000 at 55 for a 33-year-old, right? That's 22 years. 5% inflation, I think, is what we used, which is still lower than what it currently is. 5% inflation is 30000 So you've got to ask yourself, what part of my 30000 do I have secured right now? Right? What amount of that 30 is secured? And if I'm, you know, only earning 1%, 2%, 3%, it's going to take me a lot, lot longer to double the money that I have. But one of the things that has always been interesting to me when it comes to compound interest is you would think, and again, you guys know my background. I've taught math for umpteen years, high school and college math. I have two math degrees, a BA and a master's. And when I was in school, I did not, 
get taught this and I did not teach it to my students. But I did understand that if I doubled something, right, I should be doubling my results, right? If I double my effort, double the result. If I double two, I'm supposed to get four, but not when it comes to compound interest. So your 4% versus your 8%, it makes the difference of four times the amount of money you're going to have. So you've got to be mindful when you guys are deciding what vehicles you want to use, when you're working with your different people and you're trying to really, really get planned for your future. Because what is this about? How to accumulate the most money you can for your future wealth that you're going to want to have taking care of you and your family later on in life. And so 4% to 8% is not a double of the amount. It is a quadruple of the amount. That makes a very big difference. Why? Because you get two extra doubling periods when it comes to that 8% versus the 4%. Because what? 8 divided into 72 is 9. So you get two extra doubling periods instead of that 18 years. So think about it, right? I need to know, you know, what I'm planning for for my future. So what estimate am I going to use for inflation? And in the example I used, it was the 5% preparing for that family, that family I was describing's future. And then if we want to have outpace of it, right, 4% is not enough. We got to look to more like the 8%. And just really understanding, you know, where my money is and what it's getting does not mean do not use the accounts that give you one percent, zero and a half percent. Those accounts very much come in handy, you guys, because that's where you don't get penalized to touch your money. So I'm not saying don't use. And when I brought up the the book um, Psychology of Money, the gentleman in there, he was very big on having. I think it was I don't know a third or half of his assets he wanted to be in liquid accounts. And he said, that's not what most people would tell you, right? That's not most financial people would not tell you that, but that's where his comfort level was. So based on your comfort level, and it's different for different people, it may be a husband and a wife and one totally disagrees. I want all of it invested. One may say, I want all of it secure, just matters what it is. But outpacing inflation is something that we have to pay very, very close attention to in order to have as much as we want to have for our future. Okay, so calculating how much you're going to need based on what you want right now, you can do that in so many places. Like I said, I use what if uh, a retirement calculator quite often. The one that I know uh, I've been using with a couple of my clients that brought it to my attention was calculator.net. But just really being able to figure out uh, uh, how much you're going to need is something to really pay attention to so you can plan accordingly. Right. So that's that's number one. Right. As far as the enemy to pay attention to. The second, and this is what I typically think is our biggest enemy to building wealth because it is our biggest expense, okay? Our biggest expense is taxes. I know they just said something today. I was uh, catching the news, which, whew, the news, yeah. Uh, but something popped up on the news as I was walking by a TV and it was saying something about the former president and now his taxes have to be uh, opened up, Right. Taxes, you guys, it is a huge, huge, huge expense. It's the most money that you are going to pay out is when it comes to taxes. And so what I ask people to pay attention to is what ways can you minimize taxes as much as possible? If you can somehow, some way, 
keep whatever percentage is supposed to go away to taxes in your pocket, you could potentially double your income. And I think the last statistic that I saw was depending on how much money you have in your retirement years in tax-free accounts versus taxable accounts, it makes a difference of about 80% of, of extra income, depending on how you do that. That's a big deal. That's a big deal to be able to have as many uh, uh, accounts paying you, right? Uh, as many vehicles paying you as possible that are going to be tax-free. So let's talk about, you know, uh, uh, some of those different vehicles and what I really mean. Now, I am not a tax professional. I always put that out there, but there is a ton of information that we can all get. You can all find out about all the different accounts that are out there using uh, publication 590, which talks about the taxes on the accounts that we use, right? And so uh, this information comes from there. Colette, did you have a question? Not yet, but you know I will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, I saw unmute, just checking. <laughs> but uh, paying attention to the different things that happen when it comes to it. I say, I say to people, when you think about taxes, what makes the biggest difference in how much you keep versus how much you have to give to the IRS, Uncle Sam, or whatever you want to call them, it depends on the timing of those taxes. Okay. And there are different categories that tell you the timing of the taxes. So if the goal is to accumulate and keep as much money of your as possible, um, you want to minimize your taxes as much as possible. So that first category, which all of us use some way, somehow, is a, what we consider, I say, a tax now uh, account. Right. So my income, 1099, W-2, however you get paid, you get taxed in that year. Right. As long as you're not evading taxes, you get taxed in that year. Right. So when you get taxed in that year, everything you do with that investment is considered a second tax. Right. If we're talking about the money from your income that's already been taxed. So we got to pay attention to this. So how many of us out there, right, have brokerage accounts, right? All different companies. It could be Merrill Lynch, Charles Schwab, E-Trade, something like that where you have a brokerage account. Okay. Those stocks, bonds, mutual funds, you know, I know I have them. If I earn money in that year, I have to pay taxes on any of the growth that I have in that tax year. So it's already after tax dollars because it's from my income. So that's one time taxed. And then I make money from it. I got to get taxed in that same year. So that's a double tax when I use those types of accounts from a brokerage account my income gets taxed once. Savings accounts may don't earn not a lot, right? Most of us don't in a savings account, but you get taxed on that. And then if we're talking about real estate, anyone who sells their home, they have taxes in that. You have a question. Go ahead, Colette. Thank you. Of course. One of the questions that I have is this. You know my age. And I'm told every now and then, that there are ways that folks my age can circumvent taxes and being taxed on everything. Since we are the boomers, we're the best generation. We have to leave the taxes to you guys. 
Is there something out there that says these generations like mine, Dr. Hathaway's, that we get out of some of those taxes? No. Okay, that hurt. That hurt. (laughs) That was a quick note, but that sure hurt. Yeah, I thought you would give it to me easy. Not at all. And it's it's (laughs) funny when we think about that because in in meeting with your generation of people in the baby boomer market, whether you're at the beginning of it, which is, you know, 1946 folks, or you're at the end of it in 1964 folks, right? That range of people do typically on record have more money than anyone. Okay. But the majority of their money, the majority of their money is in a taxable account. A taxable a taxable account. Meaning, Why not a tax-free account? Because that's not how that generation was taught to accumulate money. Can you please tell us about the tax-free account? <laughs> I mean, they exist. I'm going to get there, but I need people to really understand that you do have choice when you're in your accumulation phase. Okay. You have a lot less choice when you are in your preservation phase. Yes. Right. So I'll say this. There is one option that those of you who have accumulated your money and are ready to preserve it have. I wouldn't recommend it. I surely say talk to your tax professional if you ever consider it. But we've heard the term before. It's called a Roth conversion. Mm -hmm. So you can convert qualified pre-tax money to a Roth account, which is after-tax access to your dollars. Mm -hmm. But of course, whenever you move taxable money to a tax-free account, there are taxes that have to be paid. Yeah, okay. Okay? So that is something that can be done. And even if you plan and, not even if, you can plan and prepare for a Roth conversion in your future, If you do the proper planning and preparation, I've seen that happen with a lot of the people that I work with, but the planning and the preparation is key. If you do it right now and you want to have the conversion right now, you got to pay the taxes right now. Mm. And that's a big chunk of taxes to convert that much wealth, which the baby boomers have. But if you have time, I'm 41, I can plan for me to have a Roth conversion for my future so that I get that, what the statistic says, 80% more income, right, in my future. But if you do it and you want the conversion to happen today, yes, there is a big tax uh, uh, implication that is happening, right? And so planning and prepping, yes, that is possible. But people have to understand you're going to get taxed on money that are in particular vehicles based on the tax codes for those vehicles. That tax now account, those are the ones that I said, the brokerage accounts, the capital gains, you have after-tax dollars that purchased an investment for you. You sell that investment, you got to pay taxes in that particular year. So yes, when you're doing, let's say, a, a purchase, a sale of a home, right? There are ways to circumvent that, right? You can do yeah, the 1031 yeah. exchanges. You can do an M50, uh, four or five, Jesus, what's the number? A monetized sale um, mm-hmm. where you're able to, you know, delay the, the taxes or postpone the taxes for 30 years. Um, you know, there's ways for you to get around it when you're talking about uh, income, 
um, from a real estate property, but the most clean way is paying the taxes in the year that you sell it. Okay. And I remember you telling me that it was better to pay the taxes on capital gains than to put that money somewhere else, so, specifically into property. If you put that money, so, and, and again, everybody's situation is different. Mm-hmm. If your desire is to continue to own real estate, then that is a good opportunity for you. A lot of your generation, their desire is not to sell and get into more real estate. They're usually selling off their income properties Mm-hmm. That they don't want to be responsible for anymore. That's what I typically see, right? And so in that case, you don't want the the hassle of real estate, right? So you have your home, you're good to go, but that's not what you want to do. So if that's the case, then no, you're not going to put it into another home. You are going to pay the taxes, right? Mm-hmm. So it's an M453 was what I was trying to say. That's the monetized installment sale. Um, that allows you to take the full proceeds from the business, do a particular transaction that keeps the, the taxes out of the way uh, okay. for 30 years. Yes. How do you get them out of the way for 30 years? It's, it's a particular inse- a, tip, a particular type of sale on the house. Like a 1031 is a particular sale. You got to take that oh. money, you got like 90 days or something to put it into a, a like home and you got to identify it at this month. Like it's a very structured way to do a sale is a 1031. Okay. Same thing for M453, which I think is just called a 453 now, but it's a very structured sale so mm-hmm. that taking the proceeds, you put it into a vehicle that's going to pay you from now until the rest of your life, but when the taxes are due, you have that vehicle to pay you back. So it's a structured sale in order to do that. You can't just say, and a lot of people won't do it. You can't just say, hey, I want to go ahead and you know get that thing and Take the money and I'm going to do, no, it's a structured sale. Just like 1031. If you miss the date to have your property uh, uh, chosen for your next property, then you've lost out on on that particular uh, capital gain aversion. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. Very, very structured. Okay. And the 1031 exchange is part or one of those structures. Yes. The 1031 is one of those very specific structures where you have to follow all the guidelines in order to, uh, you're not getting away with the taxes. You're just delaying them to the time you sell that next property. But here's what I tell people. And I I met with a a, a CPA slash tax, uh, uh, a tax planner. And there is a difference in my opinion between CPAs and tax planners. Right. Um, there's calculating, you know, uh, 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 taxes and there is planning based on your tax situation. But this particular uh, CPA and tax planner that I sat down with, we were doing a scenario um, for someone that I was working with. I was just giving her the numbers. And when she when she went through all of the things that can be, you know, written off or broken down or uh, deducted from the uh, amount that you have to pay on for capital gains. It made sense for that family to go ahead and just pay the capital gains. It made sense because in certain states, you know, there's a certain amount that you, you have, uh, forgiven or, you know, let's say you have a 500,000 capital gain, but you've been in a house for a certain number of years. They give you a $250,000 waiver or whatever the technical term is. Again, I'm not a tax professional, but, um, that lowers that $500 capital gain to 250, right? So what is 250 in capital gains versus your income versus if you put any work inside of the house. So 
whenever you're making moves with vehicles that will have a tax implication, be sure to meet and sit down and plan with your tax professional. Because for that particular family that I was helping or she was helping me with, it was better for them to pay the capital gains. And you know what? You told me that before. Mm -hmm. Something about that term, paying the capital gains. I just can't get with that. (laughs) You're going to pay. I am not here to tell folks not to pay taxes. I'm not. I'm saying minimize the amount of taxes that you have to get out there. That's what's important is to minimize. You got to pay them. You no matter what, you have to pay them. But you want to minimize them as much as possible, right? right. So, so I'm but, looking at giving them one penny as opposed to all your pennies. Hey, the, the easiest way, legally and morally, yes. <laughs> to minimize the taxes is what right. I pay attention to. Yes. The other piece, right, because I said it's about the timing. So that's the tax now account. That's a double tax account, right? Then what a lot of people, especially your generation, still a lot of people today and Jen, everything else after you, right? But definitely less with the, the newer generations. But a lot of what you guys use to save is in our qualified accounts. So those are the typical retirement accounts. All of those, which are a very, very big piece of people's retirement, are all going to be taxed when they get to retirement. So when you ask the question, Colette, you know, how is there a way to get out of paying taxes on that? No, you chose, not knowingly, knowingly, it didn't matter, but chose to be in an account where it was deferring, delaying, pushing the taxes all to the back end. And so if you don't understand that, you and I talk to a lot of people on a regular basis, and because we are a country of, in the most, for the most part, instant gratification, we want the tax write-off today. And so we're like, put us in as much tax deferral as we can. Ooh, I need tax write-offs, tax deductions, tax deductions. Do know that those taxes will have to get paid at some point in time. And so what the IRS has set up for those accounts is for it to get to its largest capacity. And at the age of 72, you are forced to start taking that money. Whether you need it or not, you are forced to take that money because it has not been taxed. So the deferral, the delay of the taxes has to come back at some point in time. And so you really got to do the calculations. Am I deferring? What is 30% on my 3,000, right? My 3,000 that I'm, I'm, you know, putting away 6,000, whatever it is. What is my 30% on that versus my 30% when I'm ready to access $500,000 for the rest of my life, right? I'm using this account of money. And so you really have to pay attention to it and know your options. And the reason the majority of us use those qualified accounts is because that's what's set up through our job. And most of us do our planning for our future through our job. Okay. So they are probably the most heavily used accounts for people that have jobs. And there are so many people out there with old jobs, right? Which I like to call orphaned money. One of the things that I uh, uh, was talking to people about is, Those of you guys who have orphaned money, those of you guys who are still working, that could be something you plan for a Roth conversion for, maybe if that's the best thing for your situation, right? But when I get to avoiding risk, we want to talk about what to do with that old money that's no longer attached to a job because there are ways to, again, keep an enemy out and accumulate more than you have been doing, right? So that's the tax later account. 
Now, the third timing of taxes, right, because it's all about the timing that dictates how much you get to keep, that is considered you have already paid taxes on this money. So you got your taxes in this year, similar to tax now. You got taxed in this year. It's your income that you've decided to invest and save other places. When you put that money into a Roth, which is why I said Roth conversion can take a large chunk and make it into a tax-free account, but if you have a Roth IRA, Roth 401k, or cash value life insurance, those vehicles allow your after-tax dollars, so you took care of the taxes on the C in today, and all the money that you accumulate from there, when you begin to access it, you have tax-free access to that money. Okay, first column, tax now, get taxed twice, right? You, after tax dollars, invest it, get taxed again in that year. Tax later, no tax now. Wait until it gets large, take taxes on your harvest. And who knows what taxes are going to be. Tax advantage is getting the taxes out the way today, grow your money tax deferred, and access it tax-free. So one-time tax, and when the accounts are the biggest, which is on the harvest, there are tax-free access to that money. And if we said your, biz, your biggest expense, and you can look that up everywhere in life, is taxes, I want to have as much of my money left in my pocket and not to have to give to the IRS. Here's another nugget that I'll give you that I talk to people about all the time. There are so many of you baby boomers, like you mentioned, Colette, that have lots of money. There's trillions, trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that the baby boomers have that will eventually get passed on to family, right? Can I say I have lots of money? I, <laughs> I said, said your generation. <laughs> I made a mistake. <laughs> your generation has lots and lots and lots of money. Yes. And because the majority of that money are in these tax later accounts, when you guys leave that money behind, right, via your trust, hopefully everybody out there has a living will and trust or is getting one ASAP, okay? But when you leave that money behind, your family is now going to be taxed on all of it. And so they may be happy that you left them some money, but depending on what kind of money you left them, they're going to be forced to pay the taxes on it within five years. So they get pissed off because we left a living will and trust and then they have to pay the taxes on it and they're going, what'd she do that for? But it's not because they have a living will and trust. It's because the way you guys accumulated the money are taxable accounts. See, the living will and trust protects you, which is why everyone should have one against any probate and having to worry about, you know, where my money really is going, how much I got to pay somebody to figure out this house and do all that. But it's because the majority of you guys' money are in those qualified accounts. You pass away. Here's a scenario. I have a client, right? We all have clients out there, whoever works in the financial world, right? Let's say you're uh, 70 years old, right? And you pass away. 70 years old, you pass away, you have half a million dollars that you've saved in, you know, whatever plan, your pension plan, your 401k plan, your, your IRA or whatever, right? But they're qualified accounts, so the pre-tax money. And you leave that behind to your family, right? That money will go into an inherited IRA. Inherited because it came from an inheritance, okay? IRA will, is an individual retirement account. 
not going to stay as your 401k with your name on it. It's going to be an inherited IRA to who you leave it to. Those inherited IRAs, you used to be able to just spend it over time when you were ready. So let's say your child is 40, 45, 50, something like that, 55, whatever it is, they weren't planning on using it anytime soon. Well, they must deplete that full account, i.e. pay taxes on it, within five years. So they just changed their entire tax situation. That's a lot of went into play a few years ago, right? Like I said, it used to be touch it whenever you wanted to and use it over whatever amount of time, but it has to be done real quickly. So I really, really, really encourage those baby boomers of you out there that have money in these accounts that whether you, you know, plan on living a long time, but you want to leave a legacy behind because maybe you don't need those accounts right now, or you, you know, just know that eventually you're going to pass away and you want to leave stuff behind, make sure you guys understand that the more you leave in the qualified accounts, the taxable accounts, the quicker your folks have to use it, which means it's going to come out at a higher amount, putting their tax bracket at a higher amount, then they have to pay the taxes. Yes, we have a question. Go ahead, Kiva. So Helena and I are pretty much the same age, right? So just thinking, I, I'm working now mm-hmm. in my profession. I have a 401k. The benefit for me to have a 401k at this point would be because my employer matches you know, up to a certain amount, my contribution. And when I am forced to take those required mandatory distributions when I'm 72, my tax bracket will be lower because I will, I will not be at the same income. You know, I'm I'm on retired income versus the income I'm having now. So I, I, I understand the point, like, God forbid, I passed away at 70. My great grandmother, you know, was alive to 99. So Mm -hmm. I plan on living until I'm a (laughs) hundred, right? So I, I plan to live to 100. So I, I, I don't, so that's why, that's why I think that, like I said, the, the benefit to me would be that I have a match and my intention is to, when I do take the money out to live off of, then I have that, um, I'm being taxed at a lower percentage. You, along with 80% of people that have 401ks or 403bs or qualified plans, that is the thinking, okay? And so here's what I encourage you and, you know, throw a little twist in that, right? So I don't think it's anyone's desire to live off of lesser income in their retirement years, okay? Why do we want to live off of a lesser income, which would be the, the benefit of waiting to pay the taxes when we just said that inflation is going to mean we're going to need way more than what we have today. So you can be off of less of your income, but you're going to be needing more income because what the cost of living is going to be at that time. And so I always like to put the history of the 401k out there. It's a really good question. I get it quite often, but the history of the 401k and when they created that plan and what was the situation that was back in the, I believe it was the seventies and the tax rate then was 70 plus percent. That's paid in taxes then. 
So if you're paying that much in taxes, then, right, we're paying 30%, 25%, something like that, right? So us going less means we make a lot less money, but it was those folks that were paying 75% where they figured in 30 years, the tax situation would have to correct itself and then they'd be in a 30% tax bracket. So it was not about the tax, the, the taxable income that you had left or the income that you were going to be making. It was about what was the tax rate going to be on your money when you had a bigger chunk of money saved. Because the purpose of saving is to have more in the future. So not just your income amount, but what you have saved that you're going to add to whatever incomes you have coming in. That rate, we don't know what it's going to be. So when we use those vehicles, we're putting ourselves in a I don't know state. Are the tax bracket is the tax rate going to be 30%, 35%, 40%, 50%? It made total sense in my my thinking when it was 75% taxes to defer it to later, because how much higher could it have gone? But it's the tax rate that you're thinking about on the bigger chunk of your money. The match portion of it, I always tell people, yes. The match is free money. It is free money and it's designed to be there because there used to be pensions. And now we know most companies don't offer pensions anymore. So they're like, okay, we at least want to give them some benefit to stick with us. But we don't know, you know, (laughs) how long they're going to work with us. So we're not trying to give them this free money, right, for too long. So that's what the match's purpose was. So the benefit is taxes today, but how much does it really affect us on the back end? The benefit is free money. Free money always gets taken first versus any other kind of money. So that makes total sense. But I really, really, really tell people to pay attention to what has the tax rate done. What do we expect it to be in 20, 30, 40 years? Keep in mind, we just printed trillions of dollars through this pandemic. And we know in order to pay people back, it's going to come via taxes. And so when you get to your largest chunk of money, let's say you have three, four hundred thousand dollars in retirement that you didn't have right now in our 40s because we're saving it for the future. Now you're going to be in a higher tax bracket, potentially, which we all are expected to be because taxes itself are going to go up is the expectation and you're doing it on a bigger chunk of money. So that's the the, the play around when it comes to that. There are definitely some benefits in, in doing it now. And I always tell people. Do what fits your financial situation. I'm just here to encourage you to pay attention to the back end just as much as we pay attention to the current numbers, right? And that's been the history of the the 401k. So why it got put in to differ, and it wasn't made for, you know, regular employees. It was made for the top earners who were making the top dollar when it was a 70-something percent tax rate that people had to pay on their income. And so they said, we have to create this to defer it to when they expected it to be less. So hopefully that answers the question. Um, the, yes, thank you, know, you. the third thing um, as an enemy that we have to pay attention to is avoiding risk, right? So I hear from people all the time, all the time, There are people that believe in full comfort, you know, conservative, conservative. I don't care about interest. I just want to never lose. And then I hear a lot from people that are like, I want the biggest bang for my buck. I need better interest. This is not enough. My friend just did this with this and I need this. My account just did this, right? There is a balance, right? Between no interest (laughs) or very low, which are typically your fixed accounts. 
and the variable accounts, which gives you the highest potential return, but they also give you the biggest risk, which could end up below your fixed account. And so for a very long time, people toggled between the two. And it was a game that was played that some people knew how to play and some people didn't. When do I need to have this fixed account versus when do I need these investment accounts? We think back to the Great Depression. Not a single person with a fixed account lost a dollar. Not a single person. Okay. But everyone who was using the investment world had a huge, huge struggle at that time. Any other time, beginning of the 2000s, wait, Y2K, 9-11, dot-com bubble, the housing market crash in 2008, Brexit in 2016, the, the onset of the pandemic, right? Those different things, right, have the variable market doing wishy-washy stuff. So people are like, if I would have known, I would have moved my money to the conservative account at that time because no one wants to lose money. Right. Warren Buffett, the one of the most uh, uh, wealthy people in the world, his rule number one is never lose money. Rule number two is never forget rule number one. That's his rule. Right. One of the wealthiest men in the world. So nobody wants to lose money, but it's a game that I see a lot of people trying to play. And so one of the things that I encourage people to think about is there are other options out there. Okay, there is something that is a combination of those two that I encourage you to do your research on. It is called a fixed index. So the fixed from the fixed account and the index from the investment side of the world, right? So many of you guys may or may not know, but on the investment side of the world, there is uh, uh, um, uh, stocks and bonds, which are one you know company giving you all their weight, high or low. There's the mutual funds, which are multiple companies being put together in order to, to give you some return or some loss. Um, and then there is the index accounts, which are 500 plus, right? I think maybe 200 plus, but it's a larger number of companies that are put together in this ball in order to decide how your money is invested. So you can have one string on your elevator with a stock. You can have 50 strings on your elevator, you know, with the mutual fund. You can have 500 strings on your elevator with the index. So fixed index allows you to use fixed accounts and the index account without taking any loss, without having any need to be on top of your account, okay? And so how that fixed index works is it says, and it's been around, let me make this very clear, since 1995. And it was a product that was created by the insurance industry to keep up with people who were investing inside of the stock market, but to prepare for when the market was going to do what it does because it always does. So in 95, the market had been amazing for some years, some decades. So in preparation for when it was going to do a drop, they created this product, this strategy that you can use inside of different products. Okay, So it's not one product, it's a strategy. And so what it says is in any positive year of the market, any positive year, right? So the S&P was booming up until uh, 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 the onset of COVID, right? Any positive year, you would have gotten a plus on your account, okay? Whatever your cap is, whatever the amount they're willing to give you up to, some of the fixed index don't even have caps anymore because it's come so far since 95. You get a plus. But when the market does what it does, which is correct itself, right, which is what at the beginning of this year, the market was doing a lot of correction, you would be protected in having a fixed interest on that year. So instead of trying to decide when is the market going to be up, when is the market going to be down, 
If the market is up, your account automatically gives you a plus. If the market is down, your account automatically protects your principal and gives you at the worst case a 0%. So you have a stair-stepped uh, approach to your interest, right? Avoiding all risk because there's never a, a less than a zero in that account. However, you take the gains of the markets. Yes, there are things that are, you probably say, like I say, what's the catch? There's caps on some of them, right? Maybe you can only earn 15% when the market does 20. Maybe you can only earn 10 when the market does 15. That's a, 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 a catch to it, right? And there are also long-term, any insurance products that you use, they're long-term. But when you're looking at preserving your money, which I'm at 41, I want to take all the investment I can, but I want to lose nothing along the way because I'm going to be investing for the next 20, 30 years. So fixed index works for a part of my planning for me. I have my folks, my parents, my people that I work with in that baby boomer generation have accumulated a ton of money up until this point, right? We just said that, Colette, your generation has more money than all of us, but it's in accounts that go up and down. But because a lot of them don't need it, they don't even pay attention to it. A lot of people that lost or left their job during COVID, they all have this orphaned or old money. All that money could be protected over the next however many years you need that money to grow. So you've got to know your options so you can do what? Avoid risk. So that's outpacing inflation. That is minimizing taxes. And that's avoiding risk. You've got to be able to see what is your game plan for your money, how much do you need, and use the inflation factor when you're calculating how much you need, because it's not going to be the same. Whatever amount you need today is going to cost more. Look at all the vehicles that you are using, all the investment strategies, because you should have a portfolio. It should not just be one plan, right? I like to uh, say an octopus, right? All my my pictures that I look at when it comes to my financial portfolio, I want to have legs. This leg can do this. This leg can do this. This is short term. This is a little bit further. This is going to give me this kind of interest. This is going to give me this kind of tax. So being diverse in my planning and my portfolio. But remember, I'm trying to outpace inflation. I'm trying to minimize taxes, the biggest expense we have. And I'm trying to avoid risk between now and whatever. And I'm not smart enough, and I see a lot of people's portfolios are not smart enough to play the game of when to do the high, when to protect my, all of that. And the last thing before we end this session, which hopefully has been very valuable to you guys out there listening, but we have the biggest, biggest potential risk on our uh, 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 life, and that is a critical illness. And I, I have a client that I was working with that it just broke my heart um, that we met several months ago and just kept putting it off, kept putting it off, kept putting it off, ended up having a biopsy and was diagnosed with uh, a cancer. And so now that the plan was not put in place, no insurance carrier is going to do what you need to do once you've been diagnosed with something. You can be, you know, past it, but not once you're diagnosed. And so I can tell you this, the number one cause of bankruptcy our medical bills and not having the proper life insurance, which we will talk a whole month about because September is life insurance awareness month. We've got to understand what we have. We've got to understand what's out there. We have to understand what we need. You have to protect your assets. You are your biggest asset. 
You and your income earning ability is your biggest asset. And if anything ever happens to you, critical, chronic or terminal illness, you will not financially be okay. And because the survival rate from these cancers and heart attacks and strokes are up in the 70s, way higher than they were in the past, insurance companies are giving you the opportunity to access your death benefit while you're alive. We'll go all into that in September. That has been my show, you guys. I am so very excited to always be here with you guys on these hump days. This was another another episode of Smart Money Moves with Helena. Thank you all who have joined me today and look forward to seeing you guys and hearing more from you all in the future. Well, Helena, as usual, I always have a whole lot of questions and you always have a whole lot of answers. I'm trying to figure out how we can do this equitably without Uncle Sam digging in my pocket. That's right. And there has to be a way to get it done. The other is I'd like for you to also talk about creating the wealth through property and what that looks like and how people can do it. Because I hear a lot of people talk about being afraid to own property because of what it means and and what am I going to do and how am I going to do it? And I'm afraid and I this and I've never owned a home before. And I, there, there should be no fear in it. There should be no fear. But unfortunately, there are a lot of people who fear home ownership because all they are familiar with are those instances where things didn't go right. So I'm hoping that we can dispel all of that and get them to make those smart money moves. We will. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you very much. It was good to see you. And thank you, Dr. Hathaway, as usual. And please send me that formula for the fountain of youth. <laughs> Take care. Love you guys. See you soon. And you have been listening to Smart Money Moves with Helena J. Connolly. And she's got the Smart Money Moves. Thank you for joining us. This is Intentional Talk Radio Network. We've got a great show for you at the top of the hour. So as Kenny Hendricks says, stick and stay. Don't go away. We've got a few minutes and we're going to enjoy some of that great music that our showrunner provides for us right here at ITRN. So we will be back momentarily with conversations in the mix with Colette and Corliss. Stick and stay. Don't go away. We will be right back. This is where we talk to you, for you, with you, and about you, and it is all good. This is where we bring you news and news that you can read. So come on back. At the top of the Jenny, 